Hey there, and welcome to the Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we will introduce you to Michelle Tricot, CEO and co-founder of Airbyte, whose mission is to create an open source data integration platform. All that and more on this episode of the Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is my co-host, Pseudo Master, Brandon Johnson. How are you doing today, buddy? So is that like a Jedi Master? <laughs> I think that was probably the inspiration I got from that. But, I mean, Pseudo Master? I, I think that sounds pretty awesome. Forget systems engineers. We're going to be Pseudo Masters now. Pseudo Padawans, Pseudo Knights, and then Pseudo Masters. Got it. Got it. <laughs> And then for, for kids, it'll be junior pseudoers or something. I don't know. We'll work on that. Pseudo-younglings. Pseudo-younglings. <laughs> so if you do a pseudo-rm-rf slash, does that destroy all the younglings? I don't know. We'll have to ask Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. No more Star Wars references, especially with uh, any reference with the prequels or the other ones, as I like to call them. <laughs> Before we start intergalactic, interplanetary war over Twitter and, and discourse about uh, which Star Wars was better or worse, why don't we get into our topic today? Because we all know that here in a couple of weeks that Star Trek Discovery will be out. So yeah, that'll end all those discussions. Anyway, so today we're going to be talking about data, not data from Star Trek. Data like on your hard drive, actually on your server. Before this deteriorates too badly, why don't we dive in? This episode of the Pseudo Show is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean because their new app platform service helps you build modern cloud native apps for way less money. With that platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let it do all the heavy lifting, whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, or even container images. By running App Platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's built on DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup as well. As a pseudo show listener and a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their app platform for free. And it gets better. DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of the pseudo show and the entire Destination Linux network. Today's interview is sponsored by none other than Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to check out their amazing service. With security breaches of regular occurrence now, experts suggest using a unique password for every account. That could easily be over 200 passwords. How do you remember all of those? That's where a password manager comes in, and the password manager trusted by the Destination Linux network is Bitwarden. You can get started on Bitwarden for free or unlock a suite of additional tools for just $10 per year. That's right, per year. That $10 will give you all the free features, one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, vault health reports, 
two-factor code generation, and priority customer support. If you want to make the smart move, get a password manager and make that manager Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thank you, Bitwarden, for sponsoring the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. If you work around technology, chances are your company or organization handles a figurative ton of data. This data gets massaged, analyzed, shuffled, transferred, and stored. There's, it's no small task, especially if your organization's business technology initiatives are mature. This requires multiple different applications to communicate, share APIs, and the ability to securely store this data. Joining us today to talk about this issue and share with us his company's open source solution is Michel Tricot, co-founder and CEO of Airbyte. Michel and his team feel they are set to solve our industry's data integration problem. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure. We've had this one on the, on the books for quite a while, so I'm glad we finally get to sit down and chat. Um, so diving on in here, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe throw in a hobby or something that, uh, that you do outside of running a busy open source business. Yeah, of course. I'm Michel Tricot. I've been in the data space for 15 years now. I started my career in 2007. In terms of hobbies that I do outside of building Airbyte, I would say I love to do barbecuing, something I've discovered since I been living in the US. I really love that thing. It's very relaxing, meditative activity. And other than that, I practice a bit of judo from time to time. Well, being a Kansas City native, born and raised, you say barbecue and and I'm there. So (laughs) we'll we'll have to have like a pseudo show reunion and we'll let you do the cooking. And I will be more than happy to eat some of your barbecue. (laughs) Thank you. With pleasure. (laughs) So what attracted you to to the data space? Like for me, like when I first got into technology, like the infrastructure side and low level code is what got me into technology. And what got you into the data space? I think if if I go back to when I really started in technology, it's probably since I was a kid, I always had this family living next door. They had dad was working in electronics at thousands of different computers in their basement, and that's where I got introduced to technology. I really got my first, I would say, experience with data. When I was in high school, I was into collecting knowledge about like how do you crack software, how do you hack, and things like that. But I've always been very good. But I was collecting all this information. And I think this aspect of wanting to collect something what is what guided me to, to data. Because ultimately, it's just you have data all over the place. It's fragmented everywhere. And it's by centralizing it somewhere that you get something out of it and that you get knowledge. So that's what get me to it. And my fr- I, I got lucky with my first job out of college in 2008, where I was interested in finance, but I was also really interested in the data space at that time. And I found a company where I was able to start digging and diving into that domain. And from there, I just went from like more scale more data, more insight, more valuable insights to building Airbyte. So before we dive into what Airbyte does, I mean, I have to ask, because first, you and Airbyte play the data space, which is highly, highly volatile right now. You have a company that plays in the open source space, so that's pretty crazy in and of itself as well. But what really caught my eye was you started Airbyte in the middle of a global pandemic. So tell us about what it, what it was like to get started, because you'd started to to lay the groundwork for Airbyte, and then all of a sudden everything shuts down. So kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that was an interesting story, actually. So I actually started to brainstorm ideas 
starting September 2019. I was really brainstorming a lot of these ideas with uh, my co-founder, John, at the time. And whenever you're thinking about ideas, you're always super enthusiastic for two days, and then you realize that was a terrible idea, and you should not ever think about it. And we started to change our strategy and to focus more on the problem space that we're interested in and we both had experience in, which was data integration. I've done that for the past 15 years. In January, so we started to hear that a few things were happening in China, but nothing really tangible at that time. And we started with going through the, the YC program at that time and trying to figure out what product we wanted to build. And we targeted like a marketing audience for data integration. How do they get access to more data? And we were getting a ton of interest from the product. We had a lot of people installing the application on their website. And I think it was March 15, just when everything shut down in the, in the US, like everybody stopped answering email. It was, especially with marketing, like you would not be able to get any marketing person on the phone because all the budget were being frozen People were getting laid off at that time. And that's actually, so that was very, of course, it's very painful for the, the people who are working at this company, but it was also very painful for us because we've put a lot of energy into, I mean, we're basically building something and suddenly you realize that the thing you're building is not, cannot be used anymore. And we went through these two months of research with John where we had to take, make the decision of this product, what COVID showed us is that was not a good idea. We need to do something else, something that is not a good to have, something that is a, a must-have. And that's COVID has helped us, but I have to say it was not a good time. I probably gained a few gray hair during that time. <laughs> I think we all did. <laughs> In the end, when I look back, I think that it helped us become better at what we needed to do and helped us figure out what ideas we should be focusing on. So. In terms of what Airbyte is trying to accomplish, I mean, like, I get it. I mean, I've, I've seen other products in this space, like, like, and other open source projects. What's the core differentiator? For example, like, something similar might be a SaaS product, Automate IO or Red Hat Fuse. What's the core differentiator here? Yeah. So the core issue with data integration is the amount of sources that you can get data from is the amount of silos of data that as an organization you might have. And in general, when I think of competitor, I feel a company that are in the same domain, I'm thinking more like five trends, I'm thinking more like stitch data and things like that. And you know, when we were looking at what how we should approach data integration, what we did is we took our phone and we called 50 customers that we can find that were using this paid solution. And there were basically four things that we realized that was not being addressed by any of them. The first one is they don't address the long tail of integration and they will never be able to do it because every time you build an integration, building is easy, maintaining is where the pain is. And at that point, as an organization that is closed source, it is not possible to grow your catalog of connectors. So that was the first issue. The second one was really the customizability of connectors. You like all these companies have to be opinionated about what data they can bring in and what schemas they want to and how they want to shape the data, which means that if your company A and you get all your data, good, good for you. You can use the product. If not, then what you have to do is you have to ask your data engineer to actually build an integration to pull that extra data that is missing for your analysis. And then the, the third one was really about like the data security aspect, which is 
with GDPR and CCP, I think companies are way more aware of the responsibility that they have toward their customers' data. And you have a lot of data sources that you cannot let another company have access to. Because, you know, when you're using these solutions generals, you expose your database, they can pull data, and then they send it back to your data warehouse. And so that was a big issue. And the third one, the first one was about pricing. In general, if it's like low-scale volume, then you can use it. The day you start feeding in your databases, then that becomes an issue around pricing, and you prefer to do it internally. So basically, the four differentiations are really, yeah, long tail of integration, customizability of integration, the control over your data, and the, and the pricing, which is more adapted to higher scale volume of data. So we kind of talked about what some of your differentiators are. What is the core mission? If your customers came to you and said that we get this out of your product, you know you were successful. What is kind of your mission, your end result? Is it connectivity between different applications via APIs? Or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it's about communitizing data integration. It's just, it's such a fundamental need for every single company that is building data organization that you want to make sure that wherever you have data, you should be able to have access to it. And it fits into this larger picture, which is how do you streamline data movement? We live in an area in an era where everybody is multi-cloud, everybody has data across different applications. Like how do you make sure that every application can talk to each other and the data can be moved from one place to another without having to think about this movement? Because fundamentally, it's just you build a highway and you want to make sure that the data flows through it. You don't want to have to build infrastructure around it. You just want data to flow and focus on building your product, not focusing on how do you transfer data. From a contribution standpoint, when uh, someone from the open source community wants to contribute, what's the technologies being used and what are you looking for from a contribution standpoint if you're looking for outside contributions? Yeah, we, so we're looking a lot for outside contribution. And one of the mission we have is really about how can we share the load of maintaining integration and all these little connectors? Because they always break because they connect to an external system and this external system is always going to break. So you need to maintain it. And you don't want every single company to do the same thing over and over again. So in terms of the, the, the structure of the project, we, have, we basically have two pieces. The first one, which we call core. And core is everything that is about the orchestration, the monitoring of data integration, and the pipelining. And on the other side, we also have connectors. And connectors are very isolated, very uh, scoped pieces of code that describe how you should extract or feed data to a system. And all of that is powered basically by what we call a, a data exchange protocol. So it allows us to have a very strong fundamental of how data should be moving from point A to point B. And after that, we just build additional abstraction on top of it to make sure that the more abstraction you build, the easier it is to build a connector and to integrate into the platform. In terms of contribution, we accept contribution on both core and connectors. And I think today we have over 120 contributors to the, to the project. And our goal here is to really provide more tooling to the community, more monitoring to the community around these connectors. For the technologies, we core is in Java mostly and connectors are language agnostic at that point now it's language agnostic because it's based on top of a protocol yeah but we have better tooling for python for example or for java but after that if you want to use another language you can just build your own sdk to interact with the protocol yeah being in data not surprised that yeah 
that Java is well supported. Not Java and Python are well supported. No surprise there. <laughs> Especially Python. Like Python's language science, basically. Yeah. It's also very succinct. I mean, the thing is when you build connectors is it's a spectrum. Either you write a million lines to build a connector or you build or you write 10 lines. If you write a million lines, it's going to take you some time to build, but it's going to be a nightmare to maintain. So Python here is pretty good because it reduces the number of lines. And we also build what we call a CDK on top of it to even to reduce even more the number of lines so that, first of all, every single connector looks like each other, but also it is easier to maintain because you have less things that you need to, to look at whenever you want to debug or add something to, to the connector. Continuing on, on this is like, what does the data flow look like? If I'm doing an integration, say, you know, I need to pull data from Salesforce and put it into my data lake, like whether if that's like some sort of Hadoop environment or Oracle, what does the data flow really look like? Let's take the example of, yeah, Salesforce to Snowflake, for example. That's uh, where we would have a source connector. And this source connector describes how you interact with the API, what kind of data is available. So for example, you might have leads, you might have companies, you might have contracts, you might have like all these different entities that are present through the Salesforce API. And what you would do when you build this source connector is just describe all of that and most importantly, expose what the schema of the data looks like. You know, we're very schema-centric in how we, we build the protocol. So that is one thing. So it's completely isolated. And this connector runs within a, a container and it's it can it exposes all this stream of data. And after that, what happens is you have core that is going to be reading everything that's coming out of the source, running to instantiate another container that is the destination. It's going to feed all these messages to the destination. And in the case of Snowflake, for example, what it would do is probably use some staging environment where it writes all the data to S3 or like to GCS and then issue a load command into Snowflake. And this way, we've completely separated the concept of sources from destination, and that allows us to do any kind of pairwise connection between sources and destination. And in during that process, we'll here remember like states, like what data we read from uh, Salesforce, what were the last updated that, so that next time we run the, the source, we can know where to start from. Instead of doing a full refresh, we can do incremental refreshes. Okay. We talked about you know, moving like something from like Salesforce to like to a database like Snowflake or or any really it looks like anything like MySQL. What about like if I have like data that is in another SaaS platform? Is that I want to take notes in like a task in Asana and take that data because it's associated with an opportunity in Salesforce? Is that a possibility with uh, Airbyte or is that something that would need to be architected in the connectors? So it is part of the vision. It is not something that we've been focusing on so much. So right now, we always assume that there is a database or warehouse somewhere in the middle. Because if you want to send data from Asana to, I don't know, uh, HubSpot or Salesforce, you need to have a processing engine in the middle that will transform the data so that Salesforce can understand what this uh, Asana ticket looks like. And right now, we don't. Yeah, we're not so focusing so much on the processing piece of it. But what you will be able to do very soon is bring all your Asana data into a warehouse 
apply transformation so that you can shape the data so that it's understood by Salesforce. And then you do the warehouse to Salesforce. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. I mean, that very similar to some other open source projects I'm familiar with that kind of do the same thing that, you know, it's a little bit more complex. I actually, you know, I went and looked at the code on GitHub. I really like the simplicity of the connectors. Like the connector is really easy. At least I think it is. Maybe I, I just was able to wrap my head around it, but I think it's really elegant. So yeah, I could see how it, why you'd want to do it that way, why you want to do the transformation in a different area. Yeah. I think the piece that is very important with connectors is because what we want is to really address the long tail and making sure that anyone who wants to use Airbyte, even if the connector is not available, they can just build it and it works and it integrates with the rest of the platform. We have to make sure that connectors remain extremely simple and have a very, very strict interface with how you interact with them. Because we don't want to have, the day we change something in core, we don't want to have to go through a thousand different connectors to migrate them to the new version of how you interact with them. That would be a nightmare. So we try to keep that extremely simple and really focus on just nailing the protocol in between. So one of the technologies I'm really working on has been Edge. I kind of switching gears. <laughs> but how do you see Airbyte fitting in with uh, 5G Edge, you know, and with uh, data is growing at exponential rate thanks to 5G sensor sensors at the edge collecting data off 5G towers, where that's you know eventually self-driving cars, smart city, whatever. How do you see that uh, being pulled in with your product, and where do you see it fitting in? Yeah, I would say that right now we are targeting a very specific use case because also we've defined a protocol. The protocol can enable any use cases, but in terms of how we're building Airbyte today, we're really focusing on specific use cases, which is micro-batches. So you, your sources, have to support some kind of incremental pointers or whatever you want to, to call it, but a state, and you can start from that state. Yep. But we're really taking this approach of, of micro-batches. Now we can scale pretty multiple terabytes sources. When we're talking about IoT and this type of challenges, we're moving into the, the realm of real-time at that point, which is or like streaming data. And it depends on how this data is being exposed or stored. Yeah, or just exposed. It's a matter of, can you build a connector? I, I'm going to say something that might not make sense, but you build a connector that is the 5G connector. Probably doesn't make sense to say it this way, but it's you, in the source, you just describe how you interact with that source to extract data from it. Or it can, and at that point, once you've done it, it works within Airbyte and you can start yeah, propagating the data in the, the destination that you want. If you want to send it to five different data stores, whether you have, a, I don't know, some Databricks store somewhere in a Snowflake or database, then you can branch out this data from this single source to five different destinations. But it's really a matter of like, how do you encode the behavior of your source within your connector? And after that, it's about the scale. So how do you scale the connector? And there are a few places where we can scale. Today, it's, I mean, there are a few dimensions in which you can scale, which is you can be able to run multiple connections across multiple nodes. We, we run very well on Kubernetes today. So you can dispatch your connection across multiple nodes, or you can 
in the case of Kafka, for example, we could have another dimension on which we scale, which is you can read topic like partitions instead of just the topic itself. And at that point, you can start spread out all these little workers that are pulling data across your Kubernetes cluster and feed the data to the to your destination. So does each connector run as like a container? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So basically, every connector is independently scalable so that you know, depending on how I'm pulling in my data, yeah, you know, I essentially have a limit my bottleneck. Yeah, is what I'm here. Yeah, okay, that's really cool. Kind of staying in the same as you know this big data problem, right? You know, for people just getting into this space, like part of our younger audience, or with you know making a career change into data, tell us about data lifecycle. Where does it come from? What's it used for? How is it processed? Just maybe we should have started with this and and I moved into into what Airbyte does, but I still think this is important to cover. Yeah. What if we take it from the angle of not just someone who starts into data, but more like an organization who starts into data? Because these are very, it's going to be very similar steps. First of all, the decision you make with data are extremely tight with what you need to do on the business side. What we see is that a lot of the solutions that are trying to handle data end-to-end are failing. It's because it is the thing you do with data is so tight to your business that it's very hard to just generalize. And what we've seen over the past few years is there has been a shift in how teams are building their data infrastructure, which is instead of buying end-to-end solutions that can do everything from ingestion to BI to like distribution or whatever, they're starting to assemble building blocks. So First of all, they're going to start their warehouse or their processing engine. That is going to be the, the, the starting point on what tools they need to use. And then they're going to think about, okay, now I have a brand new data warehouse. How do I bring data to it? And so they're going to look at, how do I ingest? Do I build my connectors internally or do I use another solution? And th- that is generally the first step. Is, it's good to have a warehouse, but first you also, I mean, second, you also need to have data into your warehouse. But I think the, the, the secret when you're, looking at building data pipelines and data infrastructure is you need to decompose every single step of your data life cycle. So first is you need to get it. Second is you need to store it. Third is you need to process it. Then you need to analyze it or expose the insight that you might have. So that could be like Tableau, that could be a Looker or other application. And then you might also have the piece where you want to activate that data which is what uh, the market calls reverse ETL these days, which is I have done some analytics on my uh, warehouse. How do you, I, I've segmented my users, I've enriched the data. How do I feed the data back? Like the use case you were discussing about before. But it's really about decomposing the life cycle of your, of your data. And then you can add this additional feature on top of it, which is who is going to be consuming the data. So if it's, this data set needs to be consumed by five other different teams. Maybe I need to have a way to document what the data looks like and where you can find it and how you can connect to it. And you see a lot of projects around that problematics, which is like, how do you catalog that data so that the organization knows where to find it? You also have things about quality. You want to make sure that all the analytics that you're doing on your data is working with correct data. So then you can have like great expectation uh, running on top of it and analyzing that suddenly you don't have a missing column or a big bias in your numbers. Someone 
I don't know, from an upstream system has multiplied all the numbers by a thousand. And you realize after you've made a bad decision or you want to know that this new import has caused the data to drift quite a bit. And you might also have things about the observability. Is my data fresh? Am I working out of the latest data or not? So, and you can see how you can assemble all, in, all this building block. And, and the good thing is that is works very well at that point with open source because in general, open source projects are very focused on solving one particular problem. And what you can do now is you can assemble all the different open source projects that gravitate with around, yeah, that are in your data infrastructure. And you might just link them with each other using like an Airflow, a Daxter, or something like that. Something that makes this pipeline a full end-to-end system, but by using the best of breed for each of these building blocks. So Airbyte has a very well-defined problem it's trying to solve. Airbyte's got open source contributors. It's got the funding behind it. It's, it's got the vision. What's kind of next on the roadmap? What's your next win, your next target that you're working towards? Yeah, so we released the project a year ago. At that time, we had six connectors. And I would say they were kind of working, but it was very much an MVP. And we started to get people to use Airbyte, although these connectors were very, very early stage. In For 2021, our goal is we want to get to, like to show that we can execute on the vision of addressing the long tail of connectors. And what we did is we went from six connectors to over 120, and our goal is to get to 200 by the end of the year. And to do so, we want to involve, I mean, both our internal team, but also our contributors are helping on getting to that goal. And what we've seen is we get more and more of these contributors because, I mean, today we've been used by over 5,000 different companies. So we have access to all these community members who are using Airbyte, that using it in different contexts. Sometimes it's like completely different industries. Sometimes it's for use cases that we never even thought about, like upgrading a cash system. That's that's an amazing use case. We never thought about it, but we just handed over Airbyte to, to our community and we started to see like this massive adoption across these companies. Our community has grown to almost 3,000. I think uh, it's probably going to be at 3,000 in the next few weeks. But our goal is also to make sure that we can continue to support the community and that we can build a company around Airbyte. So we've raised... 32 million over the like in 2021 with uh, with Axel and Benchmark. And today, what we're focusing on is to continue to improve on the open source product, but we also want to ensure that everybody can use Airbyte, which is not the case today because some people don't have the knowledge or the internal uh, resources to actually run Airbyte themselves. So, the first step in how we're thinking about helping the adoption of Airbyte is we will provide Airbyte Cloud. So this is something we'll be releasing at the beginning of October. And the, the team has been working very, very hard on, on making it work. So that is the next step for us. And that for us, that's a way of starting, of getting revenue so that we can continue to invest more into our vision and go from there. And there are a lot of things that we want to do around the product itself, because we want to make sure that you can use Airbyte Cloud, but still keep the control of or your data plan, making sure that the data never leaves your infrastructure. So how do you make the two work together? Uh, there might be other features that we want to add on top of this pipe around privacy. We want to make sure that PII that should not go in the warehouse never go into a warehouse. So there are a lot of things like that that we want to build on top of it. As we discussed, another piece that is very important for us is not just about getting data into the warehouse, because that's just half of the movement that we want to, to tackle. 
but we want to also activate that data away. So how do you make sure that once you've enriched that data, joined that data, do segmented that data, you can actually get it out so that your team, sales team, marketing team, or other teams in your organization can leverage it. So one of the things I heard is number of connectors. You went from six to 120, your target's 200. That sounds like an insurmountable task for any business to handle by themselves. And you've got the right ideas leaning on an open source community. So for the data enthusiasts, for the application owners in our audience, how could they get started with Airbyte and contribute? Yeah, so, I mean, everything is on GitHub. We have a documentation, which is always something we want to improve on, but you can just check out the project and we have very, very detailed guide on how you build the connectors. I would say probably that the first one will take you two days to write. The second one is going to take you one day, half a day, up to an hour or two to write. But we, and as you write it, not only you can contribute to the, the connector itself, but if you have ideas on how to improve the tooling around it so to make sure that we build additional abstraction that makes it easier to build a connector, you can also do it. But it's extremely, we try to isolate every piece of the connector development lifecycle so that it's very, very contained. And you don't have to think about the whole system when you do it. That's awesome. And having an easy way to onboard folks in, into your community is a great way to build that that kind of, for lack of a better term, brand loyalty around, around an open source community. And I know Brandon and myself have seen just too many open source communities that just don't go anywhere, whether they're backed by a business or not, because there's no easy way to get involved. It's like, okay, there's this thing. I really have a cool idea. I'd like to submit some code for it, but the GitHub hasn't been updated in months no one's responded to an email. There's no forum or IRC channel or or anything to get involved. So the fact that you've all have documentation and an active GitHub page that, that makes it easy to get involved with really will help continue that momentum forward. And actually talking about that, we have, we have a public Slack. So Oh, awesome. <laughs> we have almost 3,000 members on the, on the public Slack. And this is our company Slack. So you can talk to anyone from the company and... We have dedicated channel to help our community, and we have one that is dedicated to uh, connector building. Well, that's awesome. I'm really excited that you, you've got the public Slack, you've got the GitHub, you've got documentation. You guys are growing at a crazy, impressive rate, so great to hear you guys growing and, and expanding. We'll, of course, have links to the GitHub, to the Slack, and everything in the show notes. Is there anywhere else you'd like folks to follow either you or Airbyte? I think like just... Starting on airby.io, you can follow the, the breadcrumbs to like our Slack, to our Twitter, to our GitHub. That's a very good starting point in, into the Airbyte community. And also, it takes two minutes to start Airbyte and to start replicating data. We have some tutorials, some video tutorials. So, and if there are any issues, we are on Slack and we can help you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. When you guys uh, hit that 200, maybe reach out to us and we'll have you back on the show. And we'll chat some more. Wait for the thousand next year. There you go. I, I know Brandon will never tire of talking about this, so we'll have to bring you back on and you guys can chat up uh, all the data and I'll just sit back and, and smile. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to sudo.show slash discuss. That's a discourse installation hosted by the Destination Linux Network. If you'd like more of Brandon and I, you can find it over at sudo.show and on social media at sudoshowpodcast. 
That's Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Mastodon, and probably a few others that we've stood up now and then. Anyway, you can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, DestinationLinux.network. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on social media at dbrandonjohnson or my website, open-tech.net. And you can head over to Red Hat TV to catch me live every other Wednesday on Red Hat Enterprise Linux Presents. And you can follow me on social media at ITGuyEric or on ITGuyEric.com. Remember, the pseudo show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time. <laughs>